Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest. But first, I wanted to give you a quick update. At the time of recording this episode, we are actually rolling into 2023. Wow. It seems like it was yesterday we were going into 2022. But last year, we've had runners that have finished races in Berlin, London, Twin Cities, Chicago, New York City, and so many other events across the country. We've also had gyms and group fitness teams hosting our push-pull events and all sorts of other fundraisers in 2022. And I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who is helping to spread awareness, raise funds, and help us fight for a world without pancreatic cancer. 2022 was a record year for us. It was actually our best year ever in terms of fundraising, and we are so excited to get more teams, more participants, more people raising awareness in 2023. If you'd like to see how you can get involved, visit projectpurple.org and also follow Project Purple on all social media channels. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest today coming to us all the way from, it's a lot warmer than it is here in Connecticut, but from (laughs) Carlsbad, California, Connie Kenyon. Thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast, Connie. Oh, thank you, Dino. Dino, thank you for asking me. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited to share your journey here on our podcast. And as we were kind of catching up here before we hit record, I don't know much about your story. And I, and I think one of the things uh, for people who have listened or watched this, the show in the past, I don't do a lot of research on guests. And the reason being is because this podcast has always been authentic and genuine. And it's always, like I said before we hit record, it's like you and I sitting at the couch, you know, meeting for the first time, or maybe, you know, we met at a coffee shop and, you know, we're sitting here having this conversation about this thing called pancreatic cancer, which to me is so. You know, the, the 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 one of the reasons for this podcast, there's a lot of reasons, but to me is, you know, in this space, and we're going to get into your story and your journey, but I just want to say this before we get there, is it can become very lonely. And I think one of the things that's great about this podcast is it really opens up and sharing survivor stories on the podcast is so special to me because for the people out there that are fighting, you're not alone. You know, there's someone else somewhere in the world going through a very similar journey. And then for people that have not gone through that, you know, we're we're highlighting, we're raising awareness, we're showing like the true human side of this disease. So it's just so, so, so cool and so special for me to have this opportunity. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your journey. As I mentioned, uh, our first segment, you know, here at the Project Purple Podcast is really the guest opportunity to kind of share their journey with pancreatic cancer. And before I hand it over to you, as I said before, um, you can stay as high level as you want, or you can get as into the woods or in depth as you want. But this is your opportunity, Connie, to share your journey with pancreatic cancer and what brings you here to the Project Purple Podcast today. So with that, the microphone is yours. Oh, thank you so much, Dino. Um, I, I will tell you just, first of all, I was, and, and am extremely healthy. I was, um, one of the people I've never had surgeries. I've, um, never had any underlying issues. Um, you talk about running. I, um, 
I ran a lot. I, I qualified for um, Boston uh, to run in the 2013 um, race, and which I did. And so I was always very active. And even I'm 67. And even a lot of my friends would look up to me or, or be a little envious because I never had any health issues. And even to the point, um, I retired a little early because I, I wanted to enjoy life while I was healthy. And I had an opportunity and um, uh, went to uh, donate, did everything I, the procedure to donate a kidney um, to um, one of my daughter's friends. And, um, and I, 10 months before I got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I had been approved to be a kidney donor. So, um, and things were delayed with COVID and um, things. So when I, my symptoms, because a lot of people, they want to know what your symptoms are, because this, usually you um, don't find out you have it until the diagnosis could be rather on the bleak side. And um, so again, and I would walk eight miles, like three or four times a week, and, and I would work out. And all of a sudden, I was feeling, and this is when I'm 67 now, and this is when I was 66. Actually, it was June of 2021. And I was finding I was extremely tired. And then, um, and I felt a, a gnawing in my stomach, but I was actually trying to do a little bit of keto. And I thought, oh, that must be my metabolism really working and, you know, uh, taking away fat sales. But um, so, and then I lost uh, approximately eight pounds in two weeks. And I'm like, I, I thought, oh, this is pretty good. And my husband uh, is going, uh, this is not good. And then I was taking naps. And um, it was really only the last 30 days from June until July that um, I was really, uh, I had those symptoms. It's not like something that was going on for months. It was actually the last 30 days. And it was only at the persistence of my family and especially my husband who said, you've got to see your doctor. You've got to see your doctor. I go, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And because um, it, it, the knowledge wouldn't, and I would, I would tell myself on a scale of one to 10, 10 being bad, how was it? And I was a two. It was like nothing. But they insisted I call my doctor. I did. My doctor was actually going to be gone for four months. So I almost said, well, I'll just wait till he gets back. But um, a PA uh, called and said, you know, I can take you. And she was two weeks out. And I said, that'd be fine. But then she called me and she said, you know, we have an appointment in two days. And I went, no rush. But so this was on uh, June 30th. Um, I went and saw the uh, physician's assistant. And I, you know, I told her, you know, I'm just a little nine. Uh, no big deal. I go, but my skin is itching. And I go, it's not like there's something there. It just itches. And um, she gave me, you know, told me to take Pepsid, did some blood work, thank God, and then um, sent me home. The next day, 
I get a voicemail from her and saying it was early in the morning, like at eight in the morning. Um, the voicemail said, I can't leave you a message, but I need you to call me. I need you to call me right away. And I'm actually at, because I felt well enough, I'm actually at my doctor's office going to get Botox, which to me was more important than <laughs> listening to, because I was healthy. There was no yeah. way there was anything wrong with me. So I'm still at my Botox. And then she left me another message saying, I'm going to leave you a message. I need you to go to ER immediately. And um, that's when I got out of the Botox. So my husband was waiting for me and we immediately um, went to the my hospital and went into ER. And they they took me in and they did blood work. And we were we were there for like four, four hours. And I keep going, why, you know. I feel great. I actually even felt better, you know, and then I had my Botox going. And then, so we sat there and then they would come in and say, do you want some, some Xanax? Do you want, I go, no, I go, I, I, I'm just ready to go home. No one was telling me anything. Then they came in and the, the ER doctor, she said, um, I've got, uh, I've got something to tell you. And I will tell you, Dino, I was with a friend in 2017 who died of pancreatic cancer. Um, she, within, she asked me to go through that with her, and I did. And after she passed away, and after that, I told my husband, God, give me anything. Just don't give me pancreatic cancer. Just don't give me that. So when I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and, and um, she comes in and she says, you've I've, I've got some news and I could tell it was bad. And she said, um, you've got a tumor. And, um, and I'm just looking at her and cause I'm healthy. I, I can donate a kidney. And then she said, um, and Ralph, my husband goes, um, where is it? And she goes in, in her pancreas. And then I'm still not getting it. And then she, he said, does she have pancreatic cancer? And she, and she said, yes. Now, then I'm just like, it was a, and, and I think anyone, the diagnosis, when you first get it, it is actually a feeling you will never forget your, your, it's like the wind is knocked out of you. It's like, this isn't happening. It's a nightmare. Um, I, but there's also one other thing. I always ask God, because I have three children Please give me, if there's anything that fatal or, or hurtful to my kids, give it to me. So when I was told I had pancreatic cancer, there was like, thank you. I, I, I can do this. I can do this. And so I immediately thank God because um, I didn't want any of my kids to have to go through this. And um and so my husband and I were there and for the first three hours and, and my husband and I prayed and, and I was so numb. I, I never cried. And my, my poor husband, and you also think, thank God uh, it's not COVID. So I had someone in there with me because I immediately related to people to have to go through this alone. But um, for three hours, just their nurses and the doctors are just coming in and saying, we're sorry, we're sorry. Um, 
And so I knew uh, at that point, because no one gave me hope, I, they did, didn't tell me anything except I'm sorry that, um, you know, I probably had, you know, six months. But um, then the doctor came in and she said, I've got some great news. And we're sitting there going, yeah. And she goes, you could be a candidate for the Whipple surgery. I didn't even know what a Whipple was. I I knew nothing about pancreatic cancer except what my friend had gone through, which was what you'd always had heard about, that it was always very quick. But um, then she explained the Whipple surgery and they were going to transfer me to a bigger hospital. Then I don't know if I can give the names of the hospital, but you can, um, you can, you can mention the names if you're comfortable with it. That's fine. Yeah, I am. Well, uh, Scripps, I, I, this was Scripps and Sanitas and they were going to send me to Scripps, San Diego, Scripps green. Um, so they could get the, you know, start the Whipple. And so I'm still like numb, but going, Oh my God, I never, I don't even know what this Whipple is, but my husband's niece is, um, a, a doctor at Stanford and she had graduated medical school from UCLA. So the first thing my husband does is call her. So we would know what questions to ask at Scripps Green in regards to the Whipple. And the first thing she said was, you need to go to a hospital that they do Whipples, that this is what they do that. And a, and a teaching hospital. Cause they, you know, and she said, go to either UCSD or UCLA. And since she graduated from UCLA Medical School, she called them. And by the time, within two hours, she had already, she said, you leave there, you go to UCLA ER. Um, and by this time, it was around eight in the evening. And we're still at Scripps uh, in Sanitas. And she says, you go to UCLA ER. She goes, I've talked to people. Um, she had uh, uh, someone that um, she worked very close with at UCLA who was actually in the pancreas department and worked for a robotic surgeon, uh, Dr. Dr. Gurgis. And he said he would see me. So from being diagnosed July 1st in Encinitas, we get, uh, we get into um, UCLA at midnight the ER, we're fine, we get admitted by two o'clock. And by the time we're admitted in, Dr. Gurgis had his team waiting there for me to talk to me. And um, I just felt this is, this is, this, this is, I, I, I have, I have felt from the moment Whipple that I, I had this. I, I, I didn't know what the odds were. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing I, I don't Google anything. So um, smart. Yeah. I, and I tell people don't Google. And so we went into um, his team was waiting for me. They did another CT scan blood work. And, and then he came and saw me at two o'clock the, the, that afternoon. And when he cause I still didn't know if I was going to, if I was okay. Um, and, and I had his students come in and, but when he came in at two o'clock, I looked at him and I, uh, and it's the first time I cried. I looked at him and I said, am I going to be okay? And he says, you are going to be okay. We've got this. And then I, I could 
release it. And from the moment he came in on July 1st, I felt so good. But my tumor, oh, and I will tell you, the symptoms of my tumor uh, ended up being the itching was I had gotten jaundice Mm -hmm. because um, my tumor, my cancerous tumor was actually blocking my bile duct which was um, causing the pain, thank God. Mm-hmm. But when I saw him, he said that the tumor is very close to the, the veins, very close mm-hmm. and might have to do uh, chemo first. But um, I went back and saw him July 6th. He says, we've got room, we've got room. And so he, um, I was diagnosed on J- July 1st and July 12th, I had my robotic Whipple at UCLA. Um, and it was fabulous. I I call it, I was there from July 12th through July 17th and I call it my spa. I I never (laughs) once felt pain. Uh, he just did it. There's it's, um, not invasive. I I have no scars or anything. Um, so I, I I just want to jump in here real quick. So that's pretty amazing. So, um, you know, we've had people on the podcast, uh, you know, six months, three months, but to get diagnosed July 1st and then have surgery July 12th is phenomenal. And and I, I just want to, I mean, you know, it's great to have a family member, but what your family member realized and told you to, you don't need a family member for is to go to a high volume center right? To go to a space where, and this often, you know, Connie, you know, especially here as we, as we talk here in the United States and, and we've had guests on from other parts of the world, but I, I think even in other parts of the world, again, high volume centers where you want to go because this disease is so specialized and to top it off, and we're going to pick this up here. You had a robotic Whipple, which is to your point, like you're, you're spot on minimally evasive. Um, you know, the, the, the recovery time is insane, like uh, compared to a traditional Whipple, which, you know, for those that hear this for the first time, you know, they, they cut you from the top of the sternum all the way past your belly button, right? Cause they have to get everything out to get to the pancreas, which is such a long and intensive recovery. Um, also doing robotic whipples, the the preciseness and everything that goes on with how precise everything is done is done so like it's to the T when they do with the robot versus someone's and, and, and don't get me wrong here, I'm not trying to bash traditional whipples because there's some doctors that are, you know, they're phenomenal, but you know, it's it's you know, the robotic is just so if you have the option to do that, I, I think it's highly recommend that you look into it. And clearly with your experience, it's just phenomenal how that, that is able to happen so quickly and, and to be able to have that. Yeah. it. Um, and as I've gone through this process, uh, every doctor has also, and, and friends that are doctors are, are unbelievable because I, I got out of the hospital July 12th. I felt so good. And this, um, and then to, and because you uh, heal so much quicker, you can yeah. start chemo. Chemo, yeah. And so I was starting chemo August twenty fifth. Wow. Um, and, and I felt I was physically ready to do it sooner, but the oncologist said, "You're good. You're good." You know, because um, I just wanted to uh, 
to get going. But, and I, I will tell you, um, because I did my chemo, I didn't do it UCLA, uh, in LA, I did it in Snedis, but I had my Dr. Gurgis recommend who he thought mm-hmm. I should get. And he, he did tell me, and my oncologist is Dr. Siegel, he did tell me that um, he was one, he goes, there's others, he goes, but you know, I would recommend him first. And um, I, I wasn't a very big advocate of my health at the beginning because um, you know, my family had to make me go to the doctor. But when you know this is your life, you you are. And so when I called Dr. Siegel's office and his um, uh, nurse who's been with him forever, she said, oh, I'm so sorry, he's six months out, but he has um, fellowships or, or doctors that he's taught. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, and I, I just ended up talking to her and I, I said, you know, I, I don't deserve anything more than anyone else. I know that. I said, but he, he recommended Dr. Siegel and we talked and she just said, you know what? Let me see what I can do. And she called me back and she said, when he gets back, he said, um, he'll see you. And I just went, okay, all right. You know, you just don't give up. And, um, and so I got to see, and he's been phenomenal. Um, the moment I walked in to see him, the first thing he said is, to keep you cancer-free, I want to do an extremely aggressive chemo on you. He goes, but you're healthy, you're young, and there's no underlying issues. He goes, you you can handle this. And, um, I, you know, I, so I go, whatever you say. And I, and I, I told God, you let me have the whip. I'll do whatever anyone says I need to do. And that's, that's been my philosophy. You know, I, I listen to them. I'll do what they say. And, um, and I've got this. It's powerful. So you do the chemo post, uh, did you do eight rounds, six rounds? How many rounds did they have you go through? I did 12 rounds and they did 54 hours every other week. I'd go in on a Wednesday to sit in the chair for six hours, and then I'd come home with a chemo pump. Pump, yep. Until Friday. So, um, so the twelve rounds post, and then they scan. Everything looks good. I I haven't had um, when on my eleventh round of chemo, I end up getting a C diff, um, which a bacterial infection, which they thought I yep. might have to be in the hospital for a little bit, but I was only in there for two, two days that I just, whatever it was, I, I got, I got rid of it, but they did do a CT scan in the hospital then, which would have been in um, January. So the, he said, I don't want to do another CT scan because that was clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I was still doing chemo, so yeah. I actually do my, my first CT scan, uh, February, this coming February, but I've had, um, nine months of, of checkups and each one, uh, every time I've gone in there, he has said, uh, you know, you're doing phenomenal, miraculous, you know, and he did say, Connie, because he said, your cancer free starts the day you have the Whipple. So I had, um, July 12th, 
2022 was technically I was cancer free for a year. Yeah. And he said, Connie, stay cancer free till July. And then um, we're going, it'll be a cure. We're going for a cure. So um, that's awesome. Said, okay. I love it. I love it. Um, I want to back up a bit. Uh, we're going to go before. So <laughs> I'm a runner. At least I pretend to be. So you BQ'd in 2013, uh, which is no small feat because to Boston qualify for those that don't know what that is, is, you know, Boston is the marathon of every runner's marathon, right? There's this qualifying standard and usually the qualifying standard is, is ridiculously hard regardless of your age. Naturally, as you age up, it does get a little bit I guess, slower as you say in running terms, but it's not slow by any means. You still have to be a very seasoned runner and you have to have a very, you have to fit the criteria of the the time qualifying. It's a time qualifying race. They just don't take everyone just because you run a marathon or finish a marathon. You have to, you know, finish in that upper percentile. So that being said, you said you were extremely healthy I I tend to think that runners, endurance athletes, triathletes know their body well than probably other athletes. And I mean, if you're, it, I, I shouldn't say that because athletes in other, like uh, other verticals, like basketball players, baseball players, like, you know, your body, but I guess the point here is when you're competing at that high of a level, I, I consider people who BQ are like semi-professional athletes because there's not, and I, I'm going off on a tangent here, Connie. So bear with me here. I'm sure you know in the running community, like there's that friend, in air quotes here, because that this is the the real. And I shouldn't say this because maybe you're that that person, like that could just go out and run a BQ and not really train really hard or watch what they eat or get like nine hours of sleep every night for six months as you're in these training cycles. You know, there's always going to be exception to the rules, right? There's always going to be that person that can just do it, but that's not the majority. So for the majority of people, like, again, this is like semi-professional athletes to be cute. Like you have to put in the time. I, I've seen it. I've been around the running community for 12 years now. Um, anyone that I've known, I, I, I know of some people that can just go out and BQ, but they still, they still are pretty good runner. they have like a really, either they ran collegially and they're like semi, like they're doing like 20 to 30 miles a week and they'll BQ. But again, they're still putting in the miles, but then the majority of the people that I know, you know, get a coach. They're following a, a strict routine program. They're watching what they eat. They're sleeping eight hours a night, minimum. They're cross training. They're doing hyperbaric chambers. They're ice baths. They're doing all these things to get that BQ. So again, I consider that like a semi-professional athlete. You know what you're eating, right? Like you're eating like anyone who's a runner knows. Like you know, for those long training runs, you know how religious we are of what we're gonna eat when we're going to hydrate, what we're going to use, um, you know, what goose pill or uh, gummies, whatever we're right. Like we know that well in advance. So I guess my point here in saying is, you know, your body, right. You know how, you know, when something's not right, something's bothering my hamstring, my butt, my back, my calf. So if you look back and, and this is loaded, because 
if you're that type of athlete, you know your body and you're going to donate a kidney, but hindsight's always 2020. Prior to you know these these things happening, could you look back now and say, huh, you know, I was in that training cycle for the 2013 BQ and uh, something didn't sit well for like a week. But again, you're training, you're cross training, maybe you were doing deadlifts and like your back bothered you for like two weeks. But yeah, I wasn't really doing that much weight. Is there anything that you look back to? You know, honestly, because you do go back and, and think, should I have caught something? But I'll tell you, Dino, it was only because I remember it was Memorial Weekend. We went up to Big Bear where all of a sudden my stomach felt very bloated. And um, and I went, oh, I'm not going to drink. I just don't, you know, but it, nothing was alarming. I can look at pictures for me from a month before I got diagnosed. I looked fine. I felt mm. fine. So it actually it was just those last 30 days. And, and I've had a symptom of a pre-ulcer when I was 18. So I thought, I really thought that's probably what it was. So I even think, were my bowel movements different? Did I miss something? And and I, I, I can honestly say I, and even being tired, I might, but I, that was just tired. You know, I'm 66 years old. I thought, well, maybe I'm just getting tired. But um, so, and I think that's, that was really one of the, the scariest parts. Um, and, and even now I, I asked the, my oncologist, well, I know if I'm doing something wrong or something that it's going to come back. He said, you know, we're going to be, but he said, if you start dropping weight now, and that probably was because like my husband said, Connie, I mean, I started training for marathons to lose weight. My whole thing is, I just need to lose five, 10 pounds. And when I lost that weight, that should have been, but again, it was really just the last month. But when my oncologist said, if you start losing weight like that, which that's not happening now, I'm going, man, I could gain weight very easily now. It's like, oh boy. I mean, every day it's like, oh, pound, oh, pound. But yeah. um, so, but that's, it's a, it's a good question, Dino. Good question. Well, it's 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 a loaded question too, and and I know like, and I hate doing that to to folks because I I think it's always easy to look in the rearview mirror, right? Shoulda, coulda, woulda, kind of thing, and and sometimes we just don't know. And I I think this partly as a community, and I can speak on this from from that standpoint as a pancreatic cancer advocate here with that hat on. I think it's very frustrating, Connie, and and why I bring up the question is because we don't have early detection, right? And to your point, like, you know, you, you kind of second guess a lot of these things, but then, you know, like you said, the doctor, like weight loss and, you know, but like people like, you know, it, weight loss ebbs and flows, right? Like you could get a stomach bug and you could lose weight, right? Like COVID, right? Like people got COVID and lost their taste buds. And I've heard stories of people losing like insane amount of weight because they're just not eating anymore. So I, I think it just comes back to this frustration in the in the entire community as a whole that we just don't have early detection, right? Like we don't have a mammogram, right? For, for, for pancreatic cancer. We don't have a, a PSA test for prostate, Right. So like if we had those things, 
then it would be simple to just kind of like check the box, right? But I'll tell you this, kudos to that PA that saw something uh, on those results because who knows, like if you got someone else, you know, they may not have seen what they saw and you may not be in the situation you're in. And so that's a that's a success story that we need to kind of figure out how that happened and, and parade that and, and make sure that happens more often uh, because clearly that's not what happens a lot of times um, because people just get misdiagnosed. And, and to your point, like tired, like you thought it was just an age thing. You know, and so I, I guess I come back to, you know, that's part of the the question that I ask is is partly, you know, because that's probably on my end. It's like that frustration in, you know, the space that we don't have early detection. You know, and I will tell you the one thing she saw was uh, my LIPASE, L-I-P-A-S-E, yep. which I think it's usually from 30 to 300, but mine was at 976. Um and then, and and then also, she, it it um, the uh, the level of my jaundice was high, and I sprayed tan, so you know I couldn't even, I didn't even know I was jaundice. Um, I just knew my my skin itched, but um, and I will tell you that PA has contacted me um, throughout this process too. She looks on my portal um, to see how I'm doing, and she's been really great. And, and awesome. I told her it's because of, I go, it's because of you. It's because of you. She's, she's awesome. That's awesome. I love hearing that story, uh, that she's, she's keeping up and, and checking in with you. That's just so awesome. Hopefully we have more people like that in the, in the medical field, not to say that they're, they're not there, but maybe for those people in the medical field listening, you know, that that's a great example of how people should be. Um, I got a question for you, and you've mentioned a couple times here, uh, just family, um, and this question comes up a lot. Um, talk about support um, and and different parts of support, and and I always say like no one ever does this alone. Um, no one should do this alone. I think people sometimes feel like they have to be strong or they have to be the person to do everything. But can you talk a little bit about support? I know you've mentioned your husband, uh, Ralph, you mentioned your daughter, your other kids and, and family and connections and stuff like that. But what are some of the things that y- you found you know, that really helped you with your support system in your journey? Well, um, when I was first diagnosed, I, I actually thought it would just be my, my husband and my family and close friends going through it. I, I actually thought no one else would really care uh, I mean they care but um, to be inundated with something so awful but um, it was on my way to the Whipple surgery and I will tell you um, but on the way to the Whipple surgery my husband had wrote on Facebook for prayers and my uh, daughter who's an influencer had put for prayers and, and I and unbeknownst to me I did not know that then but I will tell you I remember um, when we're going to UCLA for the Whipple, I had my eyes closed in the car and I could feel, I could just feel all the the hope and prayers that were coming my way. And throughout this journey, um, I realized I'm not on it alone. I I don't want to be it. And I know people have choices, but for me, I wanted, I wanted the, the love and support. And it also, 
told me what to do for other people. Um, because I get um, text messages and they always came when I needed them the most. And um, the, the, uh, I had pastors who were friends tell me that the, the whole church of, you know, a thousand people were praying for me. And um, the support was, was phenomenal. And, and I will tell you, I accidentally um, posted a reel. I've never done a reel in my, my life and I accidentally, it wasn't ready to go about my, my journey. And that reel has gotten close to 300,000 um, views, but more importantly, it's the, um, the questions, the people asking, what symptoms did you have? Uh, and they all have, you know, not all, but you know, a lot of them, their stories of people they know, it's not going like mine and um and and the hope and 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 even with facebook um and and i'm not there to to um be an inspiration or inspire but you but people tell me how much they are and i've had a lot of people call me friends and 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 saying and, and acquaintances saying um I know someone, can they call you? And I said, absolutely, absolutely. Because this one guy who um, called me, uh, he said, Connie, when you're diagnosed, you feel like walking dead because you're walking and no one knows what you're going through. Inside your whole mindset is just different. He's, and once you start uh, chemo or you talk to a doctor, um, you know, get your plan that gives you hope and you'll go. But there's those moments, that moment. And I, I relate it. Um, you just like my life just changed. No one else can see. Uh, but for me, being in the open and if I can help other people, um, I want to pay forward as, as much as I can. Absolutely. So powerful. And something you just said, um, really, really, really resonated with me that just came to thought. The gentleman that said, you know, that, that you know, just people walking, but you, you think about life. I think sometimes a cancer diagnosis puts a lot in perspective for a lot of people. But if you think about life, if we lived every day, knowing that the people we meet, we don't know what they're going through. Right. But if we treat that person and support those people in a positive way, man, the world would be a much better place. Yeah. Right. It, it, but the world would be a better place. Yeah. That, that's pie in the sky. But, and I, and I don't say that kiddingly. I mean, I get that. Like, I'm being a realist here when I say that. I'm not trying to be a wise guy. But think about this from your perspective, from your internal perspective. If you're someone who wants to be a better person, if you take that mindset every day, like you just said, right, how better would you feel about yourself and how stronger would those relationships be and those interactions that you have with people on an individual basis every day? So it's just so powerful hearing that, um, Connie. So thank you for sharing that. Um, something you just mentioned, and you've mentioned this often, and I want to I wanna ask this question. You mentioned faith in God, um, and I'd like to talk about this because I think this is an important piece, and I'm, I'm not 
here advocating that everyone needs to believe in some sort of some one particular faith. But what has your faith meant to you during this journey and and how has that you know been part of this journey? It and I'll tell you Dino um I actually joined a small group uh Bible study a year ago. I, I always believed in God that I I wasn't going to the, into church and 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 stuff like that, but um, I needed I needed a, a little bit more of a connection, and it it's like I I'll, I'll tell you what it's like I almost feel like God prepared me for this by keeping me healthy that I could do this uh, I could help giving me strength to fight this, um, and then to giving me to be involved in my uh, Bible study who has been tremendous and um, it has been everything to me. I'm, I'm going to be, it has been, I thank God every night. I, I want to do better for people. I, cause I'm, I'm not, I don't want to take one minute for granted. I don't, I'm not entitled. I don't deserve um, where I'm at. I'm honored. And I, I tell people, and I mean this, that I will fight and do what everything possible because of your, the courageous, brave warriors before me. Um, and, and my husband and I, we have uh, at every opportunity, pay it forward. And even talking to, to people sometimes, you know, um, you know, mentally it can be a little, it can be sad talking to people that are going through this, but it's like, I feel like if this helps people, I can do this. I can do this all day long um, and be there for people immediately because I, 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 I know how scary it is. And um, you, you, you have, for me, faith and hope were, hope is everything. I mean, it's, it's just everything. It's powerful. You mentioned something before, and I want to bring this up before my next point, but you said you didn't Google anything. Why was that your mindset? Where did that come from? Did someone, you know, I know you said, you know, you had that friend in 2017 go through, you know, pancreatic cancer. So was it something that you learned from that journey or where where does that come from? Well, actually, my younger daughter, six years ago, was diagnosed um, epileptic uh, when she was 21 and um, and with a possible low grade tumor. And, you know, we see her neurologist, everything. And that's when I would Google and I'd get these horrendous you know, these stories. And actually my daughter was actually misdiagnosed and she didn't have, she never had that. But I went then, I will never Google. And when I was diagnosed with this, my husband and I uh, never, never Googled because you're going to get the worst things. And I don't, and then it came out about the, um, the odds to get a Whipple. And I'm glad I didn't know that because I don't need anything negative in my life or um uh so I you know I found out later and I went holy crap well that's you know 
that's cool. And I know I can beat all odds. And so I do, I don't, and my husband and I, we developed a philosophy very quickly that we don't look down the road, the worst can happen. And our philosophy is we will, um, we will cross that bridge if we need to, just if, because a lot of times there's not a win. It's just mm -hmm. if, and that's, um, and I will tell you, Dino, one thing I, I, I always tell people, go to your happy place. If there's something that makes you feel good, don't let those, because you can wake up at night. Don't let those intrusive thoughts come in. You, I, I, and there's been times where I've got, Oh, no, you're not. And then I think about things that make me happy and it, it has helped me immensely. I, I love that idea. Uh, I do that often when I'm flying. <laughs> <laughs> I think about happy thoughts when I'm not like, I love to fly, but there's moments, you know, uh, but I love that. I love that strategy. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, it's just so powerful. And, and so, you know, I think often, I think it's human nature, right? Like we get, like we, I, I don't know, we, there's, there's, I don't have the answer for it, but I think human nature, like you get something and, you know, the internet's there. So you go out and Google and, and the internet is very dark, right? And, and, but it's powerful hearing you say that because that's what people need to hear. Like you're walking the walk and like stay off of it because there's nothing good that comes out of it, right? Quite frankly, right? But so that, you know, hearing you, tell that story though, the, the hair on my, the back of my neck started to stare, started to go up. And the reason being is my, my next question here where I was going to go was because I've marathoned and, and, and marathons, nothing like fighting cancer, any cancer, but it sucks. <laughs> right. And to BQ that sucks. Cause it hurts, man. It hurts. And we've heard, I, you know, we can go down the road, right? Losing toenails, throwing up, you know, cramping, all that stuff. I mean, it is, it is hard work and a marathon sucks. And people always say like, oh, you did a marathon. That must be so awesome. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome after, but the whole, you know, 26.2 miles suck. Like, and it is nothing like what cancer patients go through it. But I think you know, I, I preface this by saying from a mental aspect, you know, like the marathoning and there's always these means. It's like mile one, you pass the start line. Yes, this is awesome. Mile five. Oh, this is great. You know, halfway point. Awesome. I got to the halfway point. And then it starts to precipitously go down a bit, right? Like this sucks. I can't do it. Oh my God. What did I sign up for? And then you hit like mile 24 or 21 or 22 Wheels may completely fall off. Like you might be throwing up. You might be in a porta potty doing whatever you're doing. And then you're like, I only have four miles left. Or I have three miles left. Oh, I have two miles left. I have a mile left. Holy shit. I finished the marathon. I'm a marathoner, right? Like you cross that finish line. So, you know, do you ever look back or think about like, okay, you've had these experiences in your life and, and I'm a man of faith. I grew up Roman Catholic. I do not go to church anymore, but I still believe in God. Um, you know, no one hate me for it, but it's who I am. I truly believe in, in a lot of situations that sometimes, and, and it's unique for me as the host, 
I do, I'm writing all these notes. I hear all these stories. I hear these experiences that people go through. And then they go through this thing called pancreatic cancer. Have you ever thought about like, okay, you had, you and your husband went through this experience with your daughter and you learn like, hey, not to go to the internet. You be cute. That's a hell of an accomplishment, but it was a lot of work. It's a lot of struggle. Not that fighting cancer is similar to a marathon physically, because I know the demands of fighting cancer are much, much more, but you had kind of like a tease into that. And mentally, like you have to get into that right mental space in order to, to achieve that accomplishment. So when I hear your story, I see this kind of arc that you've been on. So have you ever looked back at that, a man of faith here, a lady of faith, and think about like, you know, God puts us in situations and puts us through these things, not out of random, but because of something that we may never know the answer to, or we may never find out, but maybe we're blessed enough and fortunate to kind of see maybe a pattern here of why these things have occurred. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've always said there's a reason for everything and it gets you where you need to be. And I, I fully believe that. And I also believe your worst day will be your best day. And, um, and it's always worked out for me. And, and, and I will tell you, uh, the worst part about running a marathon is, is the training. Because if you don't train, then you, you're not even going to be yeah. able to run marathon um but uh i know and then when i'm i and i'll forget when i run a marathon or in a race i my first mile is, is like i've never felt like i've ran before because it's like it takes you to, and then i yeah. remember in boston the first five miles i'm like i'm never running again i am yeah. never gonna run again and then they never they, in 2013 they didn't even have goose till like the 12th mile and yeah. i'm used to some booze and I'm just like oh my gosh um but yeah but mile 23 you're like okay I've now and now I've got this um but and that was a goal for me to run that race and it does it's an accomplishment and I think about even when I drive the 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 training runs I would do around here um but it it is, it's an accomplishment that lets you know you you can do it. You can do it. And, and I absolutely believe that had, um, for one thing, when you run, you, you do think about your health and you do want to eat right. And um, so I, I have always tried to take care of myself. And I, and I absolutely believe there was a, a reason. And even when I, at UCLA, they told me, you reopened up your file. There's nothing there. He, they go mainly at, you know, when someone's 66 or, and they uh, are here, the file is full of, you know, diabetic or, you know, uh, already had cancer or something. So I felt very fortunate um, that I have done what I've done in my life to get me where I'm at because I needed, I needed it. And um, so, yeah, I, I fully believe that. Powerful. Connie, I've got two questions for you, um, and then we're going to share with our audience where they can connect and, and follow your journey and, and reach out to you. First one, given your experience, um, and this is relevant to you, 
I know it's hard to say like, what's the one thing or, or you know, what are two things, but maybe what are the, the, the best advice or the best things that you would advise someone maybe that just got diagnosed today in a very similar situation, given what you've gone through, given your experience, what got you through it, what are some of the things you would advise that person to do, you know, with their journey with pancreatic cancer? Well, again, first thing was don't Google, but to know there's hope. There is always hope. And, and I think that is so important because if you don't have hope, it's extremely hard to even breathe. Um, but, um, and then to be positive, don't let anything negative don't be around negativity um just always be positive because i i do think uh mental over matter uh means a lot just keep hope stay alive because things are happening all the time and don't ever give up don't ever give up so powerful i love that last question here this is a loaded question there's no right or wrong to this but given your experience, what you've gone through, your journey, how do you define the term pancreatic cancer? What's your definition? What I know now, I define it as, I do define it as hope. I, I before would have, which I used to think with breast cancer, you know, death, breast cancer isn't that way. And, and, and I don't feel like pancreatic cancer is that way either. I do feel there's so much hope there. And, um, and just uh, talk to your doctors. And, and I, I do wish physicians like my first three hours when I was diagnosed that the doctor would have made me look first to see if I was a candidate for, you know, Whipple gave me some options. Um, instead of just let you sit there and not know anything. So, um, but, and, and even the oncologist nurses, I, when I first started, I said, how can you guys do this? She goes, Connie, it's because people are thriving now. She goes, it's, they're thriving and surviving. And I went, yeah. And the stories I'm heard, uh, been told. And, and I know someone who had a Whipple 20 years ago. Um, uh, so it's hope. I, I fully believe that. And, and especially with programs like, like you, what you're doing, um, spreading the word, uh, because a lot of people don't want to hear about it because they think it's just awful, but it doesn't have to be. So powerful. I go back to something you said just a little bit ago, but if you don't Google anything and you don't, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't, but I, I mean, like they're, like what good does it get you, right? And you go in with clear mind knowing, and, and this is a subject that we talk about often. The statistics are what they are, right? Everyone knows that. But I think what people get caught up into, and I, I don't know if this is, I, I think I think I have the answer or I think I know the answer. But no one tells you which box you fit in. But no one... No one, no, and I say them, the doctors, but does a doctor have a crystal ball? Can he see into the future? 
Can a nurse do that? No, they can't. So what is it to say that you're not in that other box that is filled with hope mm-hmm. and quality of life and longevity of life? And I know from an advocacy standpoint, from me here at Project Purple, and I think from the the pancreatic cancer community as a whole, I think I don't think, I know we lead with the other box because that's how we think we can motivate and raise awareness, which I can see that standpoint. I see that. I know from my experience, different. it was different, but there's a reality to it, right? Um, I think there's places to do that where we need to do that, but we also need to say to the people fighting out there is that, again, no one in this world can tell you that you're going to be in one box or the other box. So while you're alive, you're alive (laughs) and you're thriving and you're surviving. And you mentioned, you know, the mental, that's the most important piece in all of this uh, that I've seen in 12 years. Like the people that have done amazing, that have fought this thing and that have beat this thing has been their mental approach. Um, And so like, if we already start the mental approach from the standpoint of, well, you're not in that box, you're in this other box, then you know what what service are we doing everyone? So I, I, I really appreciate you um, sharing your journey with us, Connie, and, and it was just awesome to hear. And, and I want to reach out and give you a hug. Uh, <laughs> I feel uh, it's, it. just, it's just awesome. And uh, I, I hope our audience kind of senses, you know, just the, the you know, you mentioned so many, I say golden nuggets here, but you know, um, staying alive and you defined it with hope is just so powerful. So thank you for sharing your journey and thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. Oh, thank you, Dino. Thank you for asking me. I'm, I'm honored. Connie, if someone listening to the podcast would love to connect with you, here's your opportunity to share with our audience that place where you want to connect and engage with people that maybe someone might just be diagnosed today, um, maybe have gone down a similar road, or maybe want to talk to you about where you got your treatment and your care. Where's the best place for them to do that? Probably, you know, I give my email, but I've got 39,000. <laughs> so that's not it. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking um, uh, Instagram, which it's under uh, Connie C. Kenyon. And, I, and I'm open to everyone or um, Facebook, which it's Connie. And then my maiden name, Boyd, B-O-Y-D, and then Kenyon. I'm going to go out here and follow you right now on Connie Boyd Kenyon. There you go. And and I've also, and I have put my journey uh, on, on Facebook and Instagram from uh, the, from the Whipple uh, surgery. Um, and I also, every time I went and had my chemo, uh, I, I put that on there too. So it's, it's, it's pretty just transparent. That's me. I love it. And you were just in, you were in Italy. Okay. We got to talk after we hit stop here because <laughs> you're going to talk Italy here in October. Oh my God. I, I I hug you even more. You're in Pompeii too in October. I missed you by like a couple weeks. Oh, oh yeah, a God. lot of people were there then. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. I love the it. Rain. 
I love it. So Instagram and Facebook, I, I love it, Connie. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with our audience. And thank you for all you're doing for the pancreatic cancer community and helping to spread awareness. Thank you so much. And for everything you're doing, Dino. Thank you. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode. Feel free to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on YouTube. And until next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Mm -hmm.